good to be with you again. My apologies for taking so long in producing another episode of Discoursey. We are back after what has been a very, very long November. Very long November. And uh, for reasons of which um, won't be discussed during this episode. This episode is about a delightful individual who I had the privilege of having in one of my classes when I was on faculty at DePaul University in Chicago. This episode is about Haley Buzzard Hamilton. And I have to tell you, it took me all I have to not pair a certain Broadway musical um, tune with the syllabic cadence of her name. Um, <laughs> Haley Buzzard Hamilton is um, works for the Tulsa Area United Way, and as I said, was a former student of mine at DePaul, a uh, great student of mine, and I was really thrilled that she was uh, willing to sit down and chat with me at one of the coolest coffee shops I've ever seen, and of all places, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So if you ever hear anybody bash Tulsa, tell them to back off. Tell them they've got really cool coffee places uh, on the south end of downtown. Um, give me a minute and I'll come up with a name. In any case, Haley uh, is a wonderful person. She works for the Tulsa Area United Way, does a lot of great programs. And in this episode, we are going to talk a lot about uh, her background, growing up, Cherokee identity. She's also a member of a couple of other communities. And uh, she's going to be frank with uh, what life has been like for her and some of the things that have led her to be the leader that she is within her community today. Without further ado, I give you Haley Buzzard Hamilton. I'm John C. Ronquillo. This is Discoursey. Uh, so tell me a little bit about um, growing up. Talk childhood and stuff first. Okay. How did uh, childhood and, and young Haley mold you into who you are today? Um, well, of course, my parents, Harley and Cynthia Buzzard. Uh, my dad's Cherokee, and my mother is enrolled Kickapoo, and then we're also Prairie Band Potawatomi from Kansas. Um, and so, childhood for me brings back, you know, running through the woods down at the creek. Um, we live on my great grandmother's original allotment land, um, so my dad has that. Where is that? Whereabouts did you grow up? So that's in Delaware County, which is in northeastern Oklahoma, in a small community of. J, which our community name was Uchi. Yeah, I saw, um, the, name, I saw the sign for J. Yeah. So uh, our home's been there my entire life. Um, we still, my parents still have it today. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, when I think back to my childhood, it's being within the Cherokee Nation. I've always known of the Cherokee Nation. Um, doing, going out and doing service work with my dad. My dad worked for the tribe for 24 years and even when he wasn't on the clock, he was still working. Yeah. So. And was this as a council person? No, this is as just an employee of Cherokee okay. Nation. Okay. Um, so and he, he was also on council. He's right? on council okay. now. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, and my mother also worked for Indian Health Services, which serviced our Cherokee people through the health facilities, and um, really they laid the, gr- uh, laid the groundwork for me for giving back and helping other people and uh, the importance of community. Um, And then, like others, I'm sure that has mentioned, Wilma Mankiller also played a huge role in my life. 
Um, my dad worked for her directly, um, moved up in the ranks there at the Cherokee Nation, and um, just was a positive role model for me from a very young age. Um, Do you remember when you first met her? Like what that experience was like? Did you know who she was? or? Do you know the magnitude of, of no. sort of the imprint that she left? I didn't know the magnitude, but I knew that she had to be someone very important because everybody wanted to talk to her. Um, my dad used to drive her in parades when she was deputy chief and the chief. We have a 68 Cadillac convertible, just like Boss Hogs. Nice. Has the horns, everything. Um, convertible, white, same thing. Um, but I would ride with her in parades. Um, and so... Um, just people coming up to talk to her. It was just like, you know, but from the time I was a young child into adulthood, you know, one thing about her was that she always remembered who you were. She could be talking to the president one day, she could be talking to an ambassador somewhere else. When she'd come home, she would still remember her community people. So that was, that taught me, don't forget where you come from. Yeah. So. Honey. Yeah. I have tremendous respect for her. Just joking. I just read a piece recently in the Atlantic or the New Yorker, one of those mm-hmm. wonky hoity-toity magazines, which I, I do like. But um, the author was basically saying Hillary Clinton would not be the first female American president. She would be the first female American president of the United States. And they went on to talk about this woman who had been president of Guyana mm-hmm. in South America several years ago. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what about all the sovereign nations we technically have and, and people who have uh, been trailblazers in that right too. Mm-hmm. Woman Man Killer has always been someone I've, I've looked up to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little giddy that I get to talk to people who have actually <laughs> known her. And yeah. Her and wish she was still around. But yeah. So, really great. Um, you know, like my parents, uh, my mother's uh, grandfather, Ben Sackwatt, who was our last Kickapoo chief before we had chairman. His thing to his grandkids and all of the tribal members was to get an education. So being educated was always pushed in our house. Um, They never told me that if I didn't go to school, it would be a failure, but it was just strongly urged that you continue to have your education. Um, Because he was taught or was told, get education, nobody can ever take that away from you. Yeah, my parents always served on committees there in the, in the community. Um, my my dad and another family or family friend, they actually um, advocated to the Cherokee Nation that we have equal representation because um, all of our council members used to be located in Tahlequah, and so those that live outside of Tahlequah area weren't represented. And so back in, I think it was like 83 or so, they had gone down and said, we need some people to represent us up here in the northern areas. Yeah. So. That's funny. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so when uh, it was time to go forward and, and go to school, mm-hmm. so I know you spent some time at Haskell, mm-hmm. but you didn't finish there, you finished. So I have an associate's in business administration from Haskell, and then I transferred to Northeastern State in Tahlequah and got a bachelor's in mass communications PR. Yeah. So tell me about your time at Haskell. What was it like going to an institution that is dedicated to, for lack of better words, people like you? Yeah. So one of the big reasons I went there was because of the cost, and two, because that's where my parents met. Um, So they had gone there when it was an institution. Um, and they always had great memories of there. 
Um, my uncle worked there. My brother had also gone to school there for a short while. Um, and so I wasn't for sure what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, I could start there and then transfer to KU or elsewhere. Once I got there, I loved it. Um, I was an athletic trainer, played softball there, went to school full time, lived on campus, lived off campus, um, met, have tons of friends throughout Indian country. And it's just my other family. So um, it's like no other place. Um, so I was there for three and a half years. When I did transfer to Northeastern State, people say, you know, they go through culture shock. I felt like what I was going through when I transitioned to Northeastern State was sort of culture shock um, because I wasn't surrounded by other Native people. Um, the teachers weren't Native. I didn't have access to other Native teachers as easily. Um, so it was just, just getting, I guess, used to or reacquainted to the world because we were so... Um, involved in everything that we did there at the university with other native people and here in the different languages too sure. of tribal people oh, yeah. um so. so it sounded like you liked lawrence in general or? yeah i love lawrence the plan was to go to ku and then i just which a lot of haskell students would do too yeah. right they would just transfer yeah um, they have a good working relationship um so bigger culture shock was actually coming off mm -hmm. essentially um, despite the fact that northeastern seems to tout, you know, how much involvement sure. it has in the Cherokee Nation mm -hmm. and sort of having its roots with the female seminary and everything mm -hmm. like that, uh, which I thought was really neat because um, when I was doing the tour yesterday, uh, the young lady who was giving it, I mean, she's 18, starting college in the fall, um, she knows her people very mm -hmm. well. Uh, she's so articulate and I just, I loved listening to her describe everything and she would have the subtle humor that she would drop in once in a while. <laughs> um, when she was describing the stickball, mm -hmm. she's like, uh, you know, women are allowed to play stickball now except we don't use sticks. Uh, well, I mean, she was going through as in like the progression of, of, mm -hmm. of the game. And uh, she said, but we can use our hands and we can beat the men up as much as we want to. We can yeah. slap them around and they can't touch us. Right. And it's our way to test their resolve to see whether or not they can handle being married to us. <laughs> She's, she's just really funny, yeah. and, and uh, I don't want to say cute because mm. I think that would diminish just her strength as a person in general, but um, it was a small group, but mm. she had us laughing the whole time. Um, but what I really appreciated learning was uh, things about the matrilineal culture, mm -hmm. the clans and things like that, which I hadn't known before. But the one thing that I did like about it as well is... Uh, you know, she said, we as Cherokees are very open people. Mm -hmm. We're an open society and we're a welcoming society. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that too, just sort of some of the towns that I kind of drove through yesterday. I got here super early and I'm like, well, I'll go out there today instead of trying to compress the time to today. Yeah. <laughs> um, is I noticed a lot more integration than I've seen in a lot of other communities mm -hmm. in the country. Um, and that kind of made me happy. I'm sure there's still issues between natives and non-natives, but at the same time, I think in the Cherokee Nation, maybe in Oklahoma in general, there's already such a blending of some of the cultures mm -hmm. that, that there's really not a clear line where you can delineate. Unlike like the Navajo Nation, for mm -hmm. example, where you don't, it's very insular in some places and you do not see people who don't have dark skin. Right. Okay. 
And so I just, I, I like that. Mm -hmm. It's been reaffirmed by the tour guide, Stacy, everybody else, and, and that was something that I really liked. So despite that, mm -hmm. openness, inclusiveness, and the things that Northeastern promoted, you still felt sort of like almost an outsider when you came back. Yeah, it, and it was because like in the classrooms, you know, there was such diversity in there. Sure. And um, even in some of the history courses that I took, I mean, they weren't thinking in the same way of, you know, like Indian first. And so, whereas at Haskell, it was all about yeah. native and, and learning and how, do, how are we going to get back and things like that. So, so okay, then you finish school, mm -hmm. got your BA, BS. Yes. Uh -huh. Then what? What are the next steps? So, um, I had to do an internship. Um, of course, Cherokee Nation headquarters is right there in Tahlequah. Was living there in Tahlequah, so I started working and doing an internship with our communications department. Um, Mike Miller was our director, and then Sammy Rusco, and then another lady named Tara. Shows small staff, um, and so I was more or less assigned to helping our community service department with all of their publications. Um, so really enjoyed that because that got me out to the communities. That's really what I wanted to focus on. That's what I was going to ask. Is this is working with the tribe or involved with the tribe something that was always on your radar? Or is this something that you recall making a conscious shift toward? Um, I knew I always wanted to get back to my people in some way, whether it was my own tribe or another tribe. Sure. Um, and so, of course, with my parents both working there, it was just kind of easy. Okay, you're let's just go here and, and yeah. do this. It was it was an easy transition for me. Okay. And I knew a great deal of the people that worked there for the tribe too. Yeah. Um, and so it was a conscious decision to focus on community services because I knew I wanted to be involved with our community people. So I did that, you know, for like a six month internship or so, which then led into another internship within community service department where I was more or less housed in our youth development. Um, never thought I would ever want to work with kids. Really didn't see the importance of like why I need to be educating them or anything. So it was actually, you know, creators guidance to like, you need to go here because um, that short time that I was there made me realize how important it is to educate our native youth, not only on our tribal history, but also on our treaties and our language and um, our culture. And so it taught me a great deal, um, patience for, for sure. <laughs> um, and the program that I worked with was called the Culture Renewal Program. And what we did was we worked with youth throughout our 14 county area. We met once a month with them. They did service projects so that they were getting integrated back into their community and not just learning about our history and our culture and our language, but they were also giving back to the community in some way. And if they had did certain things, then we took them on a about a 10 day trip out to Cherokee, North Carolina to interact with the Eastern Band. Right. Retracing the Trail of Tears, stopping at historical landmarks and things. And so those the first set of youth that I went with, it was a tremendous learning experience for me. Um, so my boss had told me I was only going to do the publication stuff. Well, she tricked me and I was in charge of four little girls <laughs> that were 12 to 14. And I, I was a little kind of upset that I was going to have to like babysit, more or less babysit these girls. But it turned out to be fabulous because those girls now, I'm still in contact with two of them. 
one of them has now graduated from college. She's ex she's expanded and actually left the home and moved to Billings, Montana, um, working for the BIA now. And so throughout her high school and college, like we've been in communication and stuff. So it's uh, really nice to see so a kid from 12 years old to where she is now, just expand her wings and go. So, um, and be a young leader in herself too. Um, so, so that was great. And I worked, I worked within that department for about a year and a half or so. Um, and then continued to volunteer with them once I moved on. And so after that, I went into the Cherokee Nation leadership development program that was housed out of our casino. And I was in the pilot group for that. And what we did there was, um, expand on our leadership skills. We did rotations through each of our entities, which would be the Cherokee Nation, our gaming, our Cherokee Nation businesses, and our Cherokee Nation industries. And the individuals would work with different executives, um, sometimes for three months, sometimes four months. Um, so what I really did since I was in the first group was focus on gaming and really trying to learn every aspect that I could. So I would spend a week in each department. And then what I learned, I would report back to the general manager and either say, you know, tell him what I observed or things that could be improved, um, just from an outside the box perspective. So it was, it, was, it was interesting. It was a great program. I wish I would still continue, but it, it's not now. So, so from there, I landed a job with Cherokee Nation Businesses in our government community relations department. And so I did, I worked there for about six years. Yeah, six years doing government community relations work. And again, that got me back out to the communities. Um, and then also working with our employees, really to, my focus there was, because I got to kind of create my own job, was to educate our employees of the whole reason why we even have gaming. It's because of our Cherokee people and our lands and what we do with our funding that we, the revenue that we make there at the casino goes back. So. Right, absolutely. It's great. And so was it after that that you went, went for the Masters? Yeah, so it, it was Talk on... Talk about the, that process. Yeah, I mean, so... Seems um, like going from uh, northeastern Oklahoma to Lawrence was a shift still. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you've got all this work experience and now it's like, boom, big city Chicago. Yeah. So, um, each year during evaluation time, you know, one of my goals was to go get my master's degree. I knew it needed to be done. Um, really wasn't for sure what I wanted to do. And then somehow I stumbled upon public service management and was first looking at the Bill Clinton School of Public Service in Little Rock. Of course. Um, of course, I talked to Wilma about it. Um, she knows the Clintons. <laughs> it's very competitive to get to get in there. Yeah. Uh, but then I thought, Little Rock, I don't know if I want to be there <laughs> per se. But it, it's an excellent program too. But um, so for several years, I'd probably say three to four years, I had that on my um, evaluation that I want to go back to school. My boss really pushed me and he was like, you need to get this accomplished. And he thought that I was going to go to school here locally. Um, and I happened to be in Chicago visiting my cousin, was looking at School of Public Service, um, had looked at a program at University of Chicago, uh, and then I just stumbled upon DePaul, went for a visit, and 
was like, okay, I'm going to apply here. Awesome. <laughs> so came back. It was in October, I believe. Came back and told my boss, Mike, I said, well, you need to find somebody. I'm going to leave. And if I get accepted, I'm going to leave and leave you next year. So just wow. time came around and I packed up and yeah. moved to Chicago. Yeah. Talk about that transition. What was that like? So... I mean, had you you had been before, obviously, you visited, mm-hmm. but I mean, going from, bearing in mind, I grew up in a very small town, too, mm-hmm. and worked my way up. I thought, okay, Phoenix was a big city to yeah. me, and I went to school at Arizona State, but I'll never forget, you know, first out-of-country experience, or first big city experience. And you give it time, and you're an old pro, but like, sure. I just, I remember the first time I was there, just, I, I didn't know how it was going to function. <laughs> like, how do people drive down here? Yeah. Know, things like that. Well, you know, in my younger years, and even now, my mom and my dad have always given me that, um, you know, you're a strong, independent woman, you can do things on your own, and um, just building my confidence. Yeah. Um, so, I didn't know this about my mom, but she would, I guess as all moms do, which I'm sure I will, um, worry about your kids, no matter how old they are. Um, I had traveled abroad before alone by myself, so um, I just, Chicago, I'd been there several times, and it was just like, this will just be a new experience. And um, So once I got there, I did have my cousin Vance, which if I didn't, I don't think I probably would have stayed. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. I mean, did you really find much of a community there? Given that it's a very diverse city, right. which I loved about it, but when you had that example mm-hmm. of... I am so in my element in Haskell. This is great. Right. A lot of community building, a lot of solidarity. Mm-hmm. And Chicago is a different story. Yeah, so if Vance wouldn't have been there, because he and I had lived together previously, I probably wouldn't have gone alone. Um, we, and he really needed me to be there too. Um, he had already been there in Chicago for about a year and a half and had really missed home and was wanting to come home. And so, of course, we have our Indian humor and our, you know, jokes and whatnot. And so, um, just as much as he helped me, I helped him too. And so, as far as the Indian community there, it's pretty small, which we were connected with them, although we would have to travel clear to the north side to be engaged with them a lot of times. Um, so, it was really just the two of us, unless people were coming into town. Um, and then he was going to the Lutheran School of Theology. Um, there at Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. So we had that community, which was different and a learning experience for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have stayed. I probably would have been there a quarter and wanted to come home mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if he wasn't there. Yeah. So um, the things that were different when we did go to powwows, it was pretty much different mm-hmm. than here in Oklahoma. Yeah the way in uh, which people interact so do you ever go north to like wisconsin or anything to maybe visit any of those tribal areas just to get sort of a, a sense of yes you can relax and you know so when my husband my now husband bourbon would come up he, he's actually adopted into the forest county potawatomi's hmm. um his um adopted brother is eugene uh, shoshana who's their tribal administrator and so we would go up there and hang out and visit with their family and things and so that was nice Nice, Um, and then we'd go to the Kateri Center there in Chicago we'd go there and have tacos you know whatever they'd be doing Um, but it was it was different when we interacted or when I interacted with the uh, Indians there in Chicago I remember 
a couple individuals telling me, you're just very different. Um, and so I'd gone to another event with them that was like a luncheon or something. can't remember what it was, but my interactions with them, they were just like, their comments was like, you're, you seem very educated and you know a lot about, I guess, what you call Indian country that we don't really know about. And so to me, I was kind of shocked because one of the individuals, she was Navajo, and she just thought that everybody did everything the same. And so I felt like I was doing a lot of educating there, um, which surprised me. Because when I think of urban Indians, they're supposed to be the ones that know a lot rather than me from northeastern Oklahoma. <laughs> so, um, so that was different. So within the Cherokee Nation, we have a lot of rural schools uh, within our community still. And so where I went to high school at Jay, uh, there's a rural community called Kenwood. And when, so when they would transition to Jay or whichever high school they'd pick to go to would be in ninth grade. And I always thought it was funny, um, like I said, I've always known that I'm Cherokee and Kickapoo, that whenever these kids came to school, they were the Indians. Um, they were the Indians from Kenwood. And so I remember having to tell my friends, we're also Indian too. <laughs> it's not like Indians haven't been here. Right. Um, but some of those people, my friends from Kenwood, were still good friends today. Yeah. Um, but interesting enough though, when you're talking about who's involved within the government, um, some of my good friends, they're from Kenwood, which is highly Cherokee native community they don't they know what's going on within the tribe but they don't get as involved um, I even had some girlfriends that we played softball together with and I tried to get them to go to Haskell but they just would not leave their community um, and then that just several years ago one of them had told me we wish we would have gone with you to Lawrence we wish that we would have ventured out like you did they're happy in their lives today, even then they were, but more or less they were telling me that they wish they would have gone and tried other things and still had the opportunity to come back home. Um, and so I said, well, I said, you could still travel, you can still get, and not that they didn't travel because they played softball forever. Um, and they actually played for the Seminoles because the Seminoles fund several softball teams. Right. <laughs> but um, so, and even my close girlfriends and guy friends, um, that I went to school with my entire life, that I've known my entire life, that are Cherokee, they're not really involved either. Like, I'm the go-to person for when tribal elections come up or something, Cherokee, they need to find out something, they call or text. So to, for me, that's frustrating uh, because a handful of my friends, not even friends that I grew up with, but friends that are work, working for the tribe now or for gaming or businesses, um, we're very few and far in between. Um, so, like, I could think of probably 10 people out of, you know, however many's in our age group that you could go to and ask them about what's happening within our tribal government today. So, do you feel, so in, in terms of sort of the, the, the tribal focus, it sounds like there needs to be some catching up, like, hey, younger generation, get yeah. involved. We, and you know, and we have like our tribal youth council, mm -hmm. 
Um, again, that's 17 individuals that um, run in the same form as our tribal council does. But generally those people, those youth are the same ones year after year after year. So I feel like there needs to be more expanding of that. Um, you know, I wish I would have known about it when I was of age, I could have gone and done that thing, sort of thing too, but nobody ever mentioned it to me. So one, communicating. Yes, we have social media, but you know, usually you need to have a parent to say, you need to go do this, which I've encouraged my stepkids, but they haven't done that yet either. They stay involved and up to know because their mom works for the tribe and then also with me and my dad. So, um, Are they getting up to that age? Are they? Yeah, so they're, um, Little Bourbon will turn 18 in September. Noah is 16 and Kiana just turned 15. Yeah, okay. So we make sure that their, their dad and I talk about what's going on within our tribal governments. Um, and so, and thankfully my husband is, he's an Osage, and real Osage, and so we're very involved there too. What about uh, language? How do you feel in terms of language preservation? It seems like a lot of at least the handful of people that I've met still speak Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's rare among some mm-hmm. tribes. I mean, there there is some. I, I know some Navajo kids who, who know enough mm-hmm. DNA to get by, but a lot of them. Yeah. It's just not a thing. They're, they're getting to that point in, in generations, and I hear it too with people who identify as Latino or Chicano that mm-hmm. Spanish is becoming less and less spoken. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're talking about us all being Americans, sure, I can see where that would be the case. Mm-hmm. I said that it's different when you're just looking at Latinos. You know, if you're saying, well, you're not really Latino if you don't speak the language, I think that's total BS. Mm-hmm. That bothers me. And I do speak enough Spanish that right. I'm fine with it. But with American Indian communities, it's, for me, markedly different. Like, if I were an enrolled member of a tribe, I would certainly want to make sure that mm-hmm. I yeah. And cultural preservation is just huge. I was reading about the lady who is the last fluent Wichita speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, and how I mean, she's up into her 80s now. She's yeah. still working with a professor at Boulder, a linguist, to you know, make CDs and do all this stuff mm-hmm. and preserve it because right. otherwise, it's gone. gone. Yeah. So I. Um, so my dad's. It'd be my grandmother. She was a fluent speaker. Um, she passed away when I was young, so I barely remember her. Um, my dad doesn't speak Cherokee, but he can understand it. Um, my mom isn't Cherokee, but she speaks and understands, I think, more than my dad does. Um, my mom and I would take language classes together, and then when I went to school at high school, I took two years of Cherokee with um, Andy Gertie, who just recently passed away. He was a fabulous teacher. Um, he's, I think they're from Ader County. Um, but. There at Haskell, I was fluent. I could, you know, my people in my classes, we'd be out, we could speak Cherokee. And then once I left from there and came back down to Tahlequah, I wasn't around it enough. And so my mom and I would still take classes, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah. Um, I've heard it's pretty difficult. It's not as, as well, Lenny, the tour guide yesterday, she mm-hmm. said it's, it's an odd language. Mm-hmm. And she said part of the reason we talk about Sequoia and we refer to it as a syllabary as opposed to just an alphabet right. is because just uh, tones and sounds and, and things that, that the mental translation like right. you're all going to leave today and you're going to see Wado mm-hmm. but we don't say that we say Wado right <laughs> depending on where you're from right. yeah yeah. And so I, I I love lingual nuance yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, even, you know, with the Eastern band language, the way we say, well, properly say hello is OCO, but we say CO, and then the Eastern band say SHIO. So there's a lot of theirs is like shh, and drug out more. Um, And so it's very hard to understand what they're saying. Um, But no, I think language preservation is is a great thing. We've been doing it for a long time within the Cherokee Nation. we have the school, the immersion school, down in Tahlequah, so they can start out as infants and then go into a three-year program. And then the three-year-old program goes all the way up until eighth grade now. Fluent, everything's in Cherokee. Um, my only worry and concern about that is that sometimes the kids fall behind whenever they do go back to public school. Um, Tough balancing. Yeah. So the parents are then responsible for getting their English sure. education taken care of. But um, I think it's great. I hope that our little baby on the way, that she learns hopefully Cherokee and Osage, because the Osage are working on their language preservation as well. Um, and then for my Kickapoo tribe in Kansas, in my family, we, we lost our fluent speaker over six years ago. And then now there's only, I think, five fluent speakers left. And so with a small tribe like that that doesn't have very much funding, they're working on it, but not quick enough. Um, and so just like the different Cherokee tribes, the different Kikifu tribes focus on different things. Um, oh, nice. did you play softball in high school too? Yep, yes. Really? Yes, I played softball. I, um, so when I was younger, I always played like first base and center field and then when I got there um, I became a catcher which I'm like why didn't I do this my entire life um, great position our little girl she'll be a catcher <laughs> um, so loved it um, was it yeah. a hard transition because I mean I not really you know the, the way that it even got started was my girlfriend she and I we were both um, athletic trainers for the football team so when we weren't doing anything, we would just play catch, and she was the pitcher. So I just set and catch for her. Of course, I was sitting on a bucket, but um, one of the girls, the girl that was a catcher, got suspended from school or whatever, and we didn't have a catcher. So I was like, Did you "Well, I'll do it." Oh, yeah, okay. I was like, "Well, I'll wow. do it." I mean, I've been catching for April, so why not? Yeah. And um, that first year was brutal. I caught every doubleheader, every practice. Yeah, all catchers. Yeah. That. Loved it. And I have an uncle, uh, well, it's actually my cousin, but I call him Uncle Dave. He's at least 70, and he still pitches and plays fast pitch. Uh, he tells me all the time that he's going to retire, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I'll see him at a tournament, and he's still out there pitching or, you know, coaching or something. Awesome. So, but. Um, so, you finish up with Paul. Coming back home. Yeah. What was it like to come home again? So coming home was wonderful and sad. Um, I miss what I missed from Chicago was our public transportation. Um, you know, the skyline, the food, um, just all that convenience. Um, walking. Um, didn't have the heat. Right. <laughs> um, but coming home was wonderful because I, you know, was back with my family. My it was with my fiance. Um, it was it was great. 
Um, I had to get used to driving again. <laughs> um, actually, I had to find a car. <laughs> um, but it was just nice to be back home and around other Indian people too. Um, and then of course, trying to find a job, that was a struggle. Um, so I was at that work for about three months. Um, and then was really getting to that point to where we were just like, why did I do this? And I can't even come back and this is supposed to be better for me. Right, it's supposed to be um, a step up. Right, so um, I landed with United Way, Tulsa Area United Way here as a Linda executive for 12 weeks. So I was guaranteed a job for 12 weeks. And in that time, I was still searching for a more permanent position. Yeah. Um, and just hard work and getting stuff done. Um, they found value in me and yeah. asked me to just hold off from accepting anything and then they offered me a job. That's great. So, so I've been there since 2013 uh, doing fundraising, which if you would ask me when I was at DePaul, would I be in uh, development? I would say no. <laughs> um, I'd always seen myself more on the service side, providing services, um, never in development. But I really enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, just plugging along. Yeah. Is Tulsa home now for the most part? Yeah, so uh, Bourbon and I live in Catoosa, okay. which is just outside of Tulsa. Um, so, yeah, we're here for now and um, seeing what's going to happen after we have this baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exciting. What do you do? In October, the 1st of October. Okay. Yeah. A little bit cooler, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> That's true. I, yeah. I, Last year it was still hot in December. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you? So, in this current position with Tulsa Area United Way, do you still have an opportunity to interact with any Native people? Or yeah. So, one of the things when I came in as a loan executive that I was reviewing was why aren't we engaging with our Native people? Why aren't we engaging with the tribes? And so, our vice president um, at the time. He said, oh, we've been trying to do that for the past eight years or so. And so I just blatantly told him, you have to have an Indian person do it. You're not going to get anywhere unless you have another Indian talking to an Indian tribe or to their own people and telling them why it's important. So it was my mission while I was a loan executive for that temporary period to get some funding from our tribes. And so I was successful in doing that. Um, with the Cherokee Nation and with the Muscogee Creek. Yeah, and later the Osage Nation came into that full too. So um, after that, when I came on staff, the, let's see. So last year would have been my first campaign. Yeah, I think that's right, 2014. No, 2014 would have been my first campaign as a staff member, it was still my goal to bring in those tribes to give funding to United Way as well. Um, it was successful in that, and then last year we had what we called division, so we set a goal for that tribal division, um, and we just missed it by like $2,500 from reaching that goal that we had. But um, So they're getting involved, and I think my presence there at the office is, hey, we're here, there's a lot of our tribal citizens here, you're in the state of Oklahoma, you have to have us on your boards, you have to have us involved. And so we're getting more, we have two board members that are native now, um, serving on our board, and then volunteers that are coming in too from the, the tribe, the tribes I should say. So 
we're getting more out there. Um, and so this will be our second year to have the tribal division, which we have a meeting tomorrow with our CEO at Hard Rock. Um, just uh, they've already said that they would give, but it's just you know a courtesy sure. to go out and chit chat. So my next goal is instead of them just giving a contribution, is that we do an employee campaign mm-hmm. and educate. Yeah. So. Has it been interesting or sometimes challenging going to some of these communities and saying, hey, toss some money our way? Um, or do you think that because it's you, it's mitigating the ask? I think, well, one, like we talked about earlier, I have a good connection with Indian country, so that's been helpful. Um, the one that I'm challenged with right now is the Muscogee Creek Nation because they have a new administration. Okay. So... Um, relationship building going You're on. right. Um, so that's the one that I'm struggling with right now. But being Native and having worked here and being able to tell them, here's what we do in the community, you know, is very important. And from my other perspective, too, working for our tribal government and within our businesses, a lot of our tribal citizens would ask me for help or where do I go to And when I was working at our businesses, I would always direct them back to the government side, the tribal government, and not even think about what are the resources locally in the community. Because I had no clue that we had all these 60 partner agencies that United Way has here in Tulsa. And they do just as good, if sometimes maybe better work than we do within our own tribal government. So um, it's just an additional resource. So do you, do you envision that growing, hopefully, like becoming a more permanent fixture? I mean, one would have thought that it would have already been in place, right? Right. Just given the history. Yeah. But, but. I see it growing because um, I've already planted that seed out there at Hard Rock and with our Cherokee businesses, and so that's what I'm going to push for tomorrow, that, okay, let's do a little bit more. Can we come in and educate, possibly do an employee campaign? So, Which, I mean, that could grow. They have more than 1,200 employees just there at Hard Rock. If everybody gave a dollar a paycheck, if you add that up, that's a lot of money. So who operates that hard rock? Cherokee Nation. Cherokee does? Yeah. Okay. So we pay a franchise fee for that. Sure. Yeah, that name. Yeah. To the Seminole tribe? No. It's through the Las Vegas, the casino. Separate. That's right. Separate from the cafes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Honestly. Um, so going forward... I realize now we, we live in a very, you know, networked society. Information is pretty easily available, but it could easily still be a younger girl in Jay who maybe is not growing up in the ideal situation that we would love to see our kids grow up in, who might not think, oh, I, I have the capacity to do this. I can, I can leave, I can get educated, and, uh, I can be a leader. And I can I can bring um, good things to my people and build us up. What kind of advice would you give to future generations? What do you want to see? You know, you're a change maker yourself. How how do you want to ensure that there's going to be other people who share your identity mm-hmm. that keep that up? Mm-hmm. Um, what I would do is I would encourage young girls and young men to just 
be active and be involved, whether it's just there at the school and civic engagement. Um, even in small communities, there's different organizations that are around. Um, go and volunteer. Um, one thing that I would really like to see either our tribe do or a focus being driven to our youth is to um, do more travel abroad. Um, and for those young kids that think that they can only stay in their community, that it's okay for them to leave. They can always come home, just like my friends that I was telling you about. Um, and just like the young girl Shelby that I mentored, that it's okay, just go out and try it. You can always come back home. Um, and don't worry about the money. If you really want to do it, we're going to find a way. What is, in your opinion, one of the most critical things facing Indian country right now? I mean, either your specific community or even at large, something that you wish more resources would be devoted to or more people would focus on needs to be changed? What's, what's something critical that you think is, is ongoing? Um, well, the big thing right now, which it's probably not on everybody's mind with the Indian country, I would hope that it is, you know, is obviously our presidential election. Um, but outside of that, one thing that I'm focusing on within um, the ambassador program that I'm on or in is basically like a career ready assessment. Um, so we always focus on telling our kids to go to college when trade school is just as good as sometimes not a better fit for some students. And so what I would like to see and what I'm gonna be working on with the tribe is, is developing hopefully a mobile unit that will go out to the communities to show kids you know, that might not ever think of becoming a veterinarian, what it takes to do that, and interact with native veterinarians, or attorneys, or physical therapists, or a plumber, um, or somebody that works on airplanes. So, showing them those things that um, they might not ever think about. Um, for instance, I was just telling um, my mom that I'm trying to get my stepdaughter, she thought that she might want to be an architecture. And so I had lined up for a whole week to go to a firm and she would go through these different departments. Well, she didn't get to do it. Um, you know, her mom had other things planned for her, but that would have been something to expose her to that she's never, she only knows kind of what an architecture does. Um, and for me, when I, I thought originally I wanted to be a physical therapist, I kind of know what they do, but I never got to actually go meet a physical therapist or interact with one or see what they do in from day in and day out. Um, so I just think I think that's vital for rights as native people, you know, to be educated as the federal government is to provide that for us. But we still have to pay a fee, you know, and we're certainly lacking in areas there. Um, but it's still a great institution. Um, has a lot of history and uh, so we've encouraged the oldest you know you can go there but there's still that stigma of half school is a rugged school as the Indians would say but so was Sequoia High School down in Tahlequah and now it's a school of leadership and you know I always tell young people that are thinking of going there they mention it that I went to school there I don't consider myself rugged <laughs> I think I've done pretty well for myself 
Um, and I said, it's all about what you make it. And I was like, you could call Harvard University rugged too, because you have those rugged people. <laughs> so um, it's just changing a lot of um, those young Indians' perspective of what that school could be for them. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more. Um, I'll probably wrap up soon just to let you go. But tell me more about the ambassador program. Like, what's what's the formal name? How to tell me more about it? Because sure. it, it seems to be one of the more formative experiences you've gone through. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so actually, I'm in two. Okay. So I'm, I'll talk about ambassador. So uh, the ambassador program is ran out of American Indians for Opportunity, which Ladonna Harris, okay. Ladonna Harris started, and her daughter Laura Harris is now the executive director. Um, which LaDonna is very still involved. Um, and so that process is obviously doing an application, finding letters of recommendation, um, thinking of a community project that you could do within your tribal community. Um, you could either write a paper on it or actually implement a program. So my project is on the career, I, I haven't came up with the official name yet, but more or less like a mobile unit that goes out to the community to help young adults and even adults figure out what they want to do um, with a career or a trade. Um, so it'll be an ongoing process for a while. Um, and then we meet four, time, or four times within two years. And um, our first gathering was in Albuquerque back in April of 2016. And um, there's two of us in the program that are pregnant, so they've kind of bumped our next gathering, which we're trying to decide as um, ambassadors, either going to Canada to be with the First Nations people or going to New Zealand to be with the Maori. So everybody's leaning towards New Zealand, <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens there. But essentially it's um, finding or seeking out young natives throughout Indian country and also the world because we have two um, individual one from Australia and then um, Griselda who's from Bolivia that's also in our program so this is the second year that they've made it global um, which has been very interesting we also have an individual that is from a a non-recognized tribe so that's brought a different perspective to the program too even for me as somebody that has even worked on legislation on state-recognized and non-recognized tribes here in the U.S., um, so it's really opened my eyes. And so we talk a lot about like what's going on today, yeah. um, learning from our elders. Um, it's just a variety of things, and and getting to be in contact with so many people that have. Um, so many other networks that I don't have and then learning about because we have artists we have professors we have an attorney we have somebody that works for the BIA myself a nonprofit um, so it's just a wide network yeah. wide network there That's great. and then the other one so then the other program on in is here in Tulsa it's called the next Tulsa program cool. and so that's run out of United Way and this is the third year for us to have that and so what Next Tulsa does is they're preparing the next generation of executive directors here in the Tulsa community. So they've done an assessment for the past five years, gauging where our executive directors, when are they going to be ready for a retirement. 
And so there's quite a few that's the baby boomers are getting ready to retire, but they don't have a succession plan in order. So pretty much what I took at DePaul, I'm going back over that now. <laughs> for so free. Like, for this. For yeah. I'm at. <laughs> for free. But that's also competitive to get into as well. Sure. Um, so how many are how many were in the ambassadors program? And so that's a big program. That's a clearly so they have, global focus. Right. So within my class we have fourteen. But as a alumni group there's over two hundred. Okay. Wow. That's impressive. Right. Yeah, I I had uh, a couple of I put some feelers out to some First Nations folks. Mm-hmm. Haven't been as successful. Uh, reaching them because I thought, well, talk about American Indian, mm-hmm. technically expand that to North American, American Indian. Yeah. And the First Nations context in terms of Canada, I mean, it's so different. Yeah. Not only with like First Nations reserves, but also how they interact with their mm-hmm. federal government. And being involved. And so, which Stacey might have mentioned, um, and I don't like to classify us. Mm-hmm by any means within the Cherokee Nation, but there are differences. So there's what I refer to as the traditional Cherokees, as the Christianized Cherokees, and then there's just the card carriers. I shouldn't say just, there are card carriers. But um, I grew up in a very, we were Christianized. My great, my great uncles were all pastors. so we didn't participate in the storm dance or do any of that sort of thing. Gotcha. But where my dad was involved was on the government side. So when we started that, that government process, that's where how we were involved. Okay. Um, but I've gone to storm dances before, you know, with friends. Um, very different. Um, and then you also have those Cherokees that practice traditional, but then also do Christianized things too. Um, and then now, within my life, um, since I've been married, my husband is Osage, and so I'm very involved with the Osage Nation as well on their cultural side. Sure. Um, and so uh, that's been a huge learning point for me, um, and which when our child is born, she will be very involved in that too. Um, and. One thing, like for with our stepkids or my stepkids, um, it's so they're on their mom's side. She's Christianized too, so they don't go to stomp, but they all participate in our the Osage Alonchkas, which is the tribal dances in June. And so that's taught us as a family. Um, it's brought back that servant attitude because now my stepson is the drum keeper so we're responsible for our Pahuska district and um, it's probably more service work (laughs) doing now than I've done in a long time and I enjoy it you know but um, it's you know a lot of planning it's getting out and shaking everybody's hand it's just constantly being on Um, and just making sure our community is taken care of. And that, my friends, was my conversation with Haley Buzzard-Hamilton. Great to see her again. Great to catch up. The name of the coffee shop, by the way, in Tulsa, on the south part of downtown, Foolish Things Coffee Company. Pay them a visit if you were ever in Tulsa. Shout out to them. Wonderful space. 
I also want to give a shout out to Haley's husband, Bourbon, who has been very helpful in terms of connecting with other people in Indian country to interview, not only for the podcast, but also for the book. It's been super helpful. Bourbon, I thank you so much for this. And a big congratulations to both Haley, Bourbon, and their families on the birth of their daughter, Harley, who is now a couple of months old, has these delightful cheeks that I just want to pinch. Beautiful, beautiful child. Congratulations to all of you. This is Discoursey. Discoursey is written and produced by me, John Ronquillo. I've got some new music. Hopefully you liked it. Purchased it off of Audio Jungle by somebody called Saleko. That's the handle. I don't know this gentleman's real name. I've asked him that so I can give him the proper music credit. But in the case that you were wondering, who produced this music? Saleko, Audio Jungle. Check it out. Thanks again. We will see you next time.